Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Suttles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today. Thank you for taking time to be with us. We are uh, here to provide useful information and insights to help uh, communities, companies, and nonprofit organizations get more better broadband to everywhere it needs to be in America. Uh, today is going to be a very interesting uh, show. We're going to have a very knowledgeable uh, person on as far as understanding the challenges and difficulties of getting broadband into more communities. Uh, our guest is Tom Renotis, who's the, currently the director of Longmont Power and Communications, which is a um, municipal electric and telecommunications utility located in Longmont. And uh, as everyone who's followed me probably knows by now, Longmont last week ended its second uh, very bruising battle to get a pro-community broadband referendum passed. And so that's uh, that's a good thing, I believe, for broadband, not just for uh, Longmont, but for communities across the U.S., as we'll discuss today. Um, Tom has over 30 years of experience in uh, energy utility industry, and a majority of that in the private sector. And uh, in addition to what he's doing currently in Longmont, Tom also is the chairman of the board of directors for uh, Platte River Power Authority, which is a um, electric uh, generation and transmission organization which is providing energy to uh, municipalities in northern Colorado. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Glad to be here. And uh, have all those bruises healed up okay from the from the big fight? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're healing up just fine. Nothing nothing uh, heals better than victory, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they should make that a bumper sticker. So so give me a recap. What what happened last week, and why is this significant? Well, uh, last week uh, voters uh, approved a ballot question um, by a margin of about sixty to forty. Um, that reestablished uh, the city of Longmont's right to actually provide telecommunication services. That um, right was taken away from all the municipalities in Colorado in 2005 when a, um, a law was passed that was backed primarily by the large incumbent uh, telecommunication providers in the state. A uh, law was passed. It was Senate Bill 05152 that uh, remove those rights. Um, one of the uh, components of that law, though, was that uh, cities could reestablish that right um, with a local election, and, and that's what we held, and, and, and we achieved that uh, last week. So you have reigned, uh, reigned victorious. It was a, uh, an expensive battle. Well, it was expensive for, uh, for, for Comcast and crew, the, uh, the opponents, because uh, they spent uh, what just over or just under three hundred thousand dollars for this campaign. That that's correct. It was it was close to as far as we know today. It was around three hundred thousand dollars. By the way, the largest, uh, um, the most amount of money ever put towards a local campaign in Longmont's history. Hmm. Interesting. Well, now before we go deeper into the details about the referendum uh, process. I'd like to get a little more or a little of the history of broadband in uh, in Longmont because you folks have had it for 
a while in one form or another. You've had the Fiverr ring that was put in years ago. You've had a, mar- a Muni wireless network at one point. And, in fact, you and I talked in uh, 07 when I was doing a report on smart grid. So, you know, you guys have been doing a lot with technology for years. Let's give a little context here. Um, what, what has been your broadband history? Well, you know, uh, Longmont's fortunate in that uh, uh, about 100 years ago, uh, they established their own municipal electric utility. And um, we'll be celebrating um, our 100-year anniversary actually next year. Um, what's interesting is that the uh, the um, ballot question that um, resulted in Longmont kind of declaring its energy independence uh, occurred uh, in 1911, uh, precisely 100 years before um, Longmont uh, declared its uh, connectivity independence, so to speak, uh, which is which is kind of interesting. As a matter of fact, the parallels between uh, uh, what the opposition said regarding a municipality's ability to be able to handle um, providing telecommunications were, were, were uh, it was incredibly similar to what was said uh, exactly 100 years ago when the uh, incumbent provider was uh, battling the city's ability to take its uh, own energy future into its hands. So that, you know, that's kind of a long history, but in the, in, in 1990, uh, about 96, 97, um, the city was uh, electric utility, and uh, in, in conjunction with Platte River Power Authority, which, as you mentioned earlier, was the is the generation and transmission arm of the municipalities here in Northern Colorado, was looking for a uh, a, a telecommunications system enabled to uh, uh, to monitor and control. Um, its electric utility um, infrastructure, and, and back in the day, you know, there, was, there was a lot of options. One of them was microwave, but um, they came to the decision that probably the best way to do it was um, with fiber. And uh, the uh, the community was was acutely aware of the fact that you know we went ahead and we were going to put a fiber optic cable. Um, the incremental cost of adding additional fibers in that cable was quite small in comparison to the uh to the additional capacity uh it would provide the city and um we were uh very aware at the time that that uh, fiber optic loop that that uh, that would be required to tie all our facilities together would make a a very uh robust backbone for a uh, complete fiber to the home infrastructure ultimately here in Longmont and uh uh, it was always the city's vision, and it was stated as the city's vision, that uh, we would pursue, and, and particularly pursue partnerships with the private sector to make that a reality down the road. So since about 1997, the city's electric utility, and in matter of fact, every city uh, operation has been utilizing that fiber optic network. We've had essentially, you know, gigabyte uh, capabilities for um for since '97, um, and it was really about you know cre- kind of creating a smart grid long before that term was even invented, um, and so that's sort of the history with with how the uh, the uh, fiber optic network was in place. Um, the city pursued uh, private sector companies, and we actually did sign a contract with a company called Adesta Communications back in 2000, and they had promised to bring. A, to actually build a complete uh, fiber to the home network, it would be a, a hybrid fiber coax system at the, at the time. 
unfortunately, they got caught up in that entire telecommunications sector bubble burst back around 2000, 2001, and they declared bankruptcy and walked away from the project in 2001. Uh, what they did leave behind, though, was um, um, they actually did uh, put some conduit in the ground that runs by uh, 1,200 homes in uh, one part of our uh, city that we still have access to today. Um, uh, prior, and then after that, of course, like I mentioned, in 2005, uh, uh, then the state law was, was established that prohibited us from uh, getting into any kind of telecommunication uh, service, broadly restrictive, um, you know, not only preventing us from doing large citywide projects, but uh, even providing a free Wi-Fi hotspot at a city event or providing free access to the Internet in our library would... Uh, be in technical violation of that state law, so uh, uh, we had to do something about it. Okay, so that was 2005. Oh, by the way, uh, Tom, if you can boost your volume control just a little bit, uh, that would be uh, <clears throat> that would be helpful. Um, so, the um, at the time that the law was put into place. Were there any plans in the city for opening up the the, the fiber ring for um, commercial business, you know, business use, uh, private home use, or whatever. Or did Adesta kind of falling out of the business kill any of those plans? Well, like I said, when Adesta, when Adesta filed for bankruptcy and backed away from the project, I mean that was the same time that the whole the whole telecom sector was was struggling. So we weren't real optimistic that we were going to see another private sector company come into town anytime soon and and want to partner with us to do that build out. One of the things we were looking at was uh, developing a uh, some kind of a bandwidth rate, because you know we were leasing dark fiber, but um, and and that that's fine for large institutions that could afford leasing an entire fiber in the network, had the technical expertise to be able to light that fiber and use it, but you know a lot of the smaller businesses that happen to be located adjacent to that uh, facility really didn't have the need for all that capacity nor uh, nor wanted to spend that kind of money or the technical expertise. So we were in the middle of developing a bandwidth rate uh, that would enable us to actually give them access to the system, at least pieces of the fiber. Um, and we hadn't, we didn't get that completed when, um, when the, the law was passed. So, you know, at the time we were looking at maybe ways we could incrementally um, improve the connectivity within the community um, through the use of the infrastructure, you know, as we continued to talk and pursue uh, uh, ultimately a, a citywide build-out. Mm -hmm. So what was it that led then to the, uh, excuse me, the referendum vote in 2009? Well, we we were even with the passage of the law. We we uh, in 2005 we continued to market Longmont. Uh, like I said, we were always pursuing companies to come in and improve the connectivity, and we were able to attract a a, uh, a company that that built a robust Wi-Fi network, a citywide Wi-Fi network, and it was actually able to use leasing leasing dark fibers in our system, using it as a backbone. Um, we had to be careful, though, because the law made it clear that we could not be in partnership uh, with a private sector company. So uh, we had several contracts that were oh, – one of the things, though, that, that the telecommunication uh, industry uh, made sure they 
they didn't take away was their ability to co-locate on city or municipal uh, uh, facilities because they knew they needed to have access to our uh, to our poles. Um, so um, co-location contracts were, were still fine. So what we ended up doing with this, this company was uh, developing a co-location contract with them, uh, a fiber lease contract with them, and a services contract with them. We agreed to purchase um, access to the system just like we purchase access to through CenturyLink or, or Comcast. So it was a series of contracts, and we were kind of creative with how we, we, we made that work here. But unfortunately, that private sector company um, uh, was struggling, and it wasn't because of the uh, again, it wasn't because of the uh, the network here in uh, in Longmont. It was because of other factors, and uh, we knew that there was a possibility that that company was uh, was going to fold. And uh, even though we had the technical capability to be able to keep that system up and running for um, uh, for the citizens, and particularly those that became uh, Dependent on it. Matter of fact, we have a uh, digital divide program in which um, um, several hundred accounts are provided free to um, uh, um, lower income citizens here. They were, they were going to lose access to that. And even though we had the technical ability to do that, keep that running until we could find another private provider to come in and, 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 and take over, we, we could not do that. We would, uh, we would be in violation of the state law. So if they were to uh, to default and walk away, we would keep the system up and running as part of our contract for our municipal um, operation that relied on the, the Wi-Fi system. But we'd have to essentially cut the cord to folks that used it for uh, you know the retail side because we'd be in, in technical violation of state law. So we uh, our city council uh, directed us to pursue um, the. Um, uh, the ballot question again, in, I mean, in 2009 for the first time. And we didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that. Um, so essentially our, our attorneys drafted language that was similar to what a few smaller communities in Colorado used um, to uh, to reestablish their rights. And they were successful in doing it, primarily because they didn't have large incumbent providers in there to fight it. And... Uh, and unfortunately, uh, like I said, we didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that one, um, and uh, we ended up losing that um, election um, or that ballot question uh, by about a 56 to 44 percent um, ratio. Uh, learned a lot of lessons from that uh, from that from that election, though. No doubt, no doubt. So basically, <clears throat> as I'm understanding, it was sort of like there was a building frustration. With what was happening under, you know, with, under the current law, and trying to figure out how to work and work around it. So then, eventually, the city council said, "Well, then just go for the for the referendum approach." And this was, I guess, you were what been the biggest city to that point in 2009 within the state of Colorado to actually launch a referendum effort. Th that's correct. We were the first, you know, um, large city to actually do it, and um, uh, Comcast, uh, and well, I should say Comcast, combination with Comcast and CenturyLink, at the time, um, again, uh, spent uh, uh, almost $245,000 to defeat that ballot question. And when that came out after the election, um, there was quite a bit of outrage 
from the citizens here. Um, and we realized then, uh, as we moved forward, that um, that was a, a weakness. You know, a, a cities are here, here in Colorado, and I, I would imagine there's probably similar state campaign financing laws throughout the, the country. I'm, I'm not aware of all of them. But once uh, an item gets on the ballot, the, the municipality is prohibited from advocating for it and can't spend any resources um, uh, towards advocating for it. Um, the opponents, however, can spend anything they want. They can say anything they want. They can make up their own facts and believe, and they did. Um, so, you know, we sat back and we tried to reassess our strengths and weaknesses. And one of the strengths we have is the fact that we are truly local. We're truly part of the community. Um, obviously, the weaknesses I mentioned before, we can't we can't say anything. We can't spend any money. We have to rely on grassroots groups to really take it and run forward with it. But one of the weaknesses that became clear with the opponents is the fact that no matter all their sources of funding will not come from local sources. They're going to come from the outside. People realize that. Um, people, the, 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 the folks that they hire to run the campaigns many times are from, uh, from outside the community. Um, and so we decided as, as we were going to move forward that we were going to plant seeds to uh, take advantage of these strengths and weaknesses. And uh, we also realized real quick that you can't just throw something like this on the ballot and expect it to win considering the limitations that a municipality has uh, and the advantages that the incumbent players have. And so we spent uh, about a year and a half um, in advance educating the community. Um, we had several articles in the newspaper talking about um, talking about the uh, what what the fiber optic network was, what it did for the city, um, what it was capable of doing. And then um, the Google project sort of fell in our lap. Um, we uh, when they announced that they were going to build a, a, a fiber to the home network in some community, we realized, first of all, we felt we were an excellent choice for that project. We still feel that way. But we also realized that we'd probably be a long, it'd probably be a long shot. And even if we didn't uh, attract a Google here, we could certainly leverage the campaign to attract Google, <coughs> educate the community on uh, on the potential of, uh, of high-speed uh, fiber. And and so we did that. We had a lot of fun. We uh, we got the uh, the schools involved with a, a video contest. Uh, we ha we had kindergartners on videotape talking about our fiber optic loop. Uh, they're talking to their parents. Uh, uh, we had a, 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 a digital globe flyover. We're fortunate here in, in Longmont that the headquarters for Digital Globe is actually located here. And I think folks, a lot of folks know that Digital Globe operates the satellites that takes the uh, the satellite imagery for Google Maps, and um, we were able to coordinate with them a, a, a satellite flyover over one of our high schools where uh, citizens got together, combined with vehicles, and formed the words Longmont Hearts Google. And we had local <laughs> vendors provide uh, pizza and, and refreshments and made it quite a quite an extravaganza. Um, so we took advantage of that again it was all about educating the public about uh, the potential uh, of uh, higher speed uh, communications 
Um, we also took a lot of time uh, meeting with um, various organizations, uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, our Longmont Area Economic Council, um, and educating them about um, about the potential and, and what the issue might mean for the community. So, you know, we we spent a lot of time, so to speak, up until uh, uh, prior to the camp campaign, uh, planting seeds, you know, sort of watering uh, our seeds for this grassroots effort, and uh, and we relied on the opposition to provide the fertilizer, <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they did. Well stated. Well they stated. Did. And uh, once they came out with their campaign and uh, uh, and spent the money, um, and the more people heard with the television commercials and their mailboxes full of brochures with uh, facts that they've made up after we laid a lot of the uh, the foundation here, the the and the more that they heard that they were spending, uh, the more outraged the community became. And I really believe that it got to be. Uh, it didn't really matter what the issue was at one point. Uh, it, 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 it became a local uh, uh, control issue. Um, it was uh, People became aware that somebody from the outside was spending an inordinate amount of money to try to convince them not to compete because they were afraid that the community would fail. That didn't make any sense to a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think that... That in itself uh, was uh, th- those were some of the reasons why I think we were able to um, to uh, succeed in the in the second campaign. Interesting. Now, do you think that um, <clears throat> this is kind of maybe off the the, the cuff a little bit? Um, if 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 Comcast had spent twice as much, and they already spent like three hundred thousand dollars, given what people were figuring out on their own in terms of learning about broadband and what it can do and so forth, do you think the outcome would have been much different? You know, I I don't know. We um, as it, I was always cautiously optimistic as I really we really began to sit back and see the the uh, the folks in the community step up. It was a true grassroots efforts. We couldn't coordinate with them. We had to make sure that we had laid those seeds well in advance. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I had people knocking on my doors uh, that were paid for by this opposition. We had robo-phone calls. I mean, we were inundated. And, you know, we always respected the fact that uh, you pay for a big enough microphone, or megaphone, I should say, uh, uh, it's going to have an impact. Um I I, th- I think you know I, I don't know if it would have made it made a difference, but I can tell you one thing: I don't know whether or not a city any larger than Longmont would have been able to survive that. And the reason I say that is because um, Longmont's not a, 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 a huge community. I think we're small enough that we were able to get out um, in the in the year and year and a half before and really touch a significant part part of the community. Um, and and have that grassroots effort that didn't have a lot of money to spend really make it have an impact. Um, I think in a larger city, uh, that that might be a lot more difficult, and it might be uh, almost impossible to survive a barrage like that. You're gonna a larger city is really gonna have to do a, a lot more, maybe have a little bit more time to get that to, to get the facts out and the message out prior to having a campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, in Colorado, though, are would you 
say that most of the cities, like just in terms of just numbers of cities, are smaller than or larger than Longmont? Oh, I think there's a it's a good mix. We have a lot of smaller communities, and then there's there's a there's a significant uh, number of larger communities that are in the Metro Denver area. Okay. Well, if you get outside of Denver, because you know my thinking is that if you're looking at <clears throat> the smaller communities, which is typically where the broadband need is the greatest, right? I mean, you know, the smaller the area, the less likely it is someone's taking the time to come there with broadband service. Hence, that's why communities get so agitated in favor of having these networks. So if you've got a lot of smaller cities and towns, it seems like that would be where the the effort and the interest would be greatest. And then based on how you have described Longmont's education process that once you educate those communities they should be able to withstand a fair amount from from the standpoint of the saturation aspect to be able to 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 move some sort of referendum forward oh, I agree because the referendum really wasn't even that radical in terms of of what it said there was right i mean it was, it was just basically saying we want to be able to explore our options i mean the net of it you're, right you're correct as a matter of fact that was that was one of the strategies that, that that we used too. I mean, we we realized doing our homework that um, um, these incumbent service providers they destroy uh, community broadband efforts throughout the country, and and they do it but because because of the facts uh, that you know municipalities really can't spend the money and advocate. Um, and, and I took a lot of criticism. I think uh, a lot of folks uh, said, geez, you, you know, in order to win this, you're going to need to have a project, something that people can get their hands around. My concern was that um, if we were to spend the money in, 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 in developing a business plan and a business model and, and um, you know, with projections of revenue, projections of cost, and present that, and then have to have to sit back and, and not defend it. That that would just give a lot of meat for the uh, opposition to sink their teeth into, and uh, and you know attack the uh, the the validity of the the projections and and the costs. And I could just see them, you know, bringing up uh, uh, you know professors from uh, CU Denver or whatever. And uh, and just and just destroying it, and us not having the ability because it would be more complex at that point, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have the expertise, probably in the in the grassroots community to be able to defend it. So our strategy was instead of uh, waiting to have a project, um, and besides that, it wasn't always it wasn't just about a big project. It was a lot of it was preventing us from doing a lot of little things, like I said before, but just simply the idea of a local control of a local asset. Reestablishing our rights um, to do whatever we decide to do in the future uh, made it more difficult for the opposition to really sink their teeth into. And um, I mean, we ultimately won the election, and maybe that maybe that that strategy proved to be a good one. But um, it was one that we debated for quite a while here in, in Longmont before we um, we we created the ballot question that was fairly open, like you said. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say that you know things obviously turned out well, and so there is there is a lot to be uh, said about that. So let's uh, let's just shift for a little bit here. Um, now that now that you have it, um, 
the next big challenge is, okay, now what what do we do with it? So it sounds like now is the time to create that plan and to to figure out what exactly to do with the network and, and who to partner with, because I understand that the Alcatel Lucent uh, was one company that was interested in being a partner. I know I've seen emails floating by and messages from other companies that are interested. So what's next? <laughs> it's funny. What uh, you mentioned, Alcatel. One of one of the strategies that the incumbents will do too to a municipality is is uh, is um, ask based on open records laws, ask for all your emails and mm-hmm. all your information. And we actually did get a uh, um, an open records request from the uh, the opposition, and uh, it was quite broad, and it took us quite a bit of time to gather that information. So we had to give them all our emails, mm-hmm. and their and their objective. We we knew what the objective was. The objective was to take take documents, take little phrases out of context, and create more um, more glossy brochures. Uh, fortunately for us, the, um, the the folks who were running the opposition weren't very uh, organized, and they were confused and made mistakes with the open records request, and it ended up delaying their process. So by the time they got the information, they didn't have time to. Uh, print and produce anything, so they ended up taking up full-page ads. And one of them uh, uh, brought up an email uh, that went between myself and uh, a representative from Alcatel-Lucent, and they tried to make it sound like we had a secret plan with Alcatel-Lucent that we were going to invoke, which we sort of got a kick out of. And I kind of wish I had that secret plan, because now I could invoke it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that that's not the case. I mean, Alcatel Lucent contacted us. Uh, it was a typical sales call. I mean, it's it's just uh, we do it all the time. We're you know with a lot of companies that are, that are sort of interested in in what their opportunities might be here in um, in Colorado and here in Longmont. Mm-hmm. And it was nothing more than that uh, with Alcatel Lucent. But uh, right. yeah, how how we move forward, um, you know. We've got a tremendous amount of momentum right now. Uh, mm-hmm. People are really energized about this. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, one of the things I think we need to figure out is how we can have some kind of a public involvement process because it is a, it is an asset. We're talking about assets that are community-owned. And uh, the community needs to be part of figuring out how we move forward. And uh, so I think, you know, having some kind of a community involvement process up front makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, again, we don't necessarily have to start with uh, some large citywide project. Um, we had businesses contact us over the years that were interested in, and they knew they were adjacent to the city's fiber infrastructure um, and they were interested in maybe getting bandwidth at the time we couldn't provide it to them. We may go back and figure out how we do that. You know, we may provide a free Wi-Fi hotspot uh, at a city event um, in the near future, so it, it, it could be a lot of little things that we could start out with. Mm-hmm. Sort of the um, <clears throat> the incremental approach and, and see what falls into place. Um, are you are you well? Number one, as far as the power utility for Longmont, uh, does your jurisdiction or coverage area go beyond the city limits? Yeah, we do. We extend out into a small township. Uh, um, just outside of, of Longmont, um, called Hygiene, and, and, and up in, a little bit into a, a, a another township of uh, Lyons, uh, which is adjacent to us. So we do we do serve uh, 
a, um, a small additional area outside the city's boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, so you seem like you have, uh, you know, based on my knowledge of how utility companies work and so forth, a lot of um, infrastructure in terms of just operations. You have best practices, you have people, you have customer support, and they're all in place and in motion. So the ability to be a strong partner with a private sector company, it seems like is is pretty good. Fair assessment. I, no, I agree. As a matter of fact, a lot of people talked about the fact that our advantage was that we had the fiber optic loop in place. Well, mm-hmm. that was an advantage, but our big advantage is the fact that we have our own municipal electric utility. And with that municipal electric utility, you have access to uh, to infrastructure. You have a, um, um, a workforce that's used to providing customer service. I mean, we will we'll respond in minutes to an outage um and to restore service you 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 don't get that kind of service from uh most of your cable tv companies as, as most people are aware of and when i've talked to um the directors of municipal utilities for example in chattanooga tennessee and lafayette louisiana that uh have successfully deployed um um fiber networks complete citywide fiber networks one of the things they tell you is that you know, don't be intimidated uh, when folks say that this stuff is really complicated. Uh, the message was that compared to what we do with electrical energy, um, deploying these systems is simple, and that we have the competencies and in, 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 in the personnel to be able to carry it out. Um, so, you know, those kinds of messages are reassuring when you when you talk to folks that have actually done it. Hmm. Um, I can see we're definitely that. Um you know that's definitely a strong point in the in, in the whole equation. Now, you um, when we actually first had a conversation it was in 2007, and I was working on a report on um, AMI, which is sort of a cross between just standard automatic meter reading and smart grid that is being promoted today. And we talked for a while about that. And um, one of the things that came out of that discussion was uh, the issue that vendors had a lot of proprietary had a lot of proprietary infrastructure, and you didn't want to move down the path too quickly because you didn't want to get locked into bad, you know, some deal where the company went out of business or whatever. And as as we stand on this brink of a greater potential for doing all kinds of things, you know, broadband related, is that philosophy still in place of um, waiting to see how mature how um, technologies and industries mature before taking the plunge into the particular decision? Well, you know, we've been monitoring. Um the, the whole industry for years. You know, at first when it first started out in the 90s, it was called uh, AMR, Advanced Metering, uh, Advanced Meter Reading, or Automatic Meter Reading, I should say. Um, then it became AMI, Advanced Metering Infrastructure, and then it, all of a sudden it was Smart Grid. It, it, the, the target kept changing, and um, you know we've got about 39,000 electric meters that would have to be replaced. And so you're, we're talking about a significant investment uh, uh, by our community. And the fact of the matter is, being a municipal electric utility, um, we're, um, um, 
we're mostly urban. We do have some rural areas. So the costs of actually reading our meters is um, is a, a lot less than um, a utility that would be uh, in, in a rural area where there'd be a lot more distance between meters. So you know we've been we've been careful not to be on the bleeding edge. We always we always want to be on the leading edge, but not on the bleeding edge of that particular technology. We've made a lot of advancements with smart grid on the utility side, primarily because of the fact that we've had the fiber optic infrastructure. We've had uh, like I said, essentially gigabyte Ethernet capability, communications capacity between all our substations and all our facilities, and we've able to uh, update um, um, all our, our, our electric relaying equipment and um, SCADA supervisory control and data acquisition equipment um, uh, with the latest technology on the utility side. Um, and I think we've probably been more advanced than many utilities in that regard. But the one area that we've been holding off a little bit has been the metering area, and the concern has been that there hadn't been standards, like you said, and we didn't really want to get locked into somebody's proprietary system that was going to go out of business, and um, we were going to waste that um, that investment. But I think you know it's it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when that we'll uh, we'll move uh, forward with that type of an installation, and I think we're getting closer. Uh, you know, one of the things we, th we we thought we would be able to do was uh, once we had the citywide Wi-Fi network in place, that you know that 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 would make a good communications uh, system to to talk to the meters. What we found was that when we went out and really talked to the vendors, um, they weren't really going that direction because most cities don't have a citywide Wi-Fi system in place, so they were using. Um, other technologies, and uh, there wasn't a lot available to talk directly to uh, uh, Wi-Fi networks. Um, I think that's changing. We're right now uh, one of our uh, our partner cities, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, has uh, applied for grants and received grants, and is going ahead with a full deployment of a smart metering system. And we're going to sit back and sort of watch how that turns out. Um, before we decide to move forward. But, you know, you're right. I mean, uh, um, if we were to deploy a fiber-to-the-home network, there is another option uh, potentially for talking to the meters that maybe we'd have to look into. Right. And one of the things that you mentioned in that uh, 2007 interview was the, the, the potential to impact mobile, well, and in, in that that for that conversation, it was mobile utility workers, but that could be extrapolated to talk about mobile government workers as well. And, in fact, in Chattanooga, in Santa Monica, where they both have um, gig or more services, the wireless component, <clears throat> particularly as it pertains to government, uh, mobile government user applications, is pretty aggressive. I think there's some two or 300 applications you know, some everything from small stuff to major stuff that Chattanooga has deployed just for its mobile government workers over the over the, a wire mesh that sits on top of its fiber. And um, in in Santa Monica, I think their plans are still, for the most part, on the drawing board, but they do have wireless in a lot of places. You know, as as Wi-Fi zones and so forth. So it would seem like um, that's an avenue worth pursuing because number one you're not really selling stuff to the in user market you're basically providing a way to enhance the way government itself works 
Yeah, uh, I assume that would still be popular. Yeah, and, and um, like I mentioned before, we do have a contract, a service contract, with the um, the company that runs the citywide Wi-Fi network here. And we ha- so we have access to that system. We do use it for um, for mobile data. We actually just recently converted our um, traffic signal communication system from uh, having the lease lines from the incumbent providers to uh, actually using the Wi-Fi network. And that seems to be working very well and it's saving uh, the community money. Um, but we, we haven't been as aggressive, I think, as, as some of the other cities you talked about in actually pursue, pursuing more Wi-Fi ap- applications or wireless applications <laughs> primarily because we were, a little, we were a little concerned with uh, our ability to step in and, uh, and, and, and take over the network uh, if the private sector company was, um, you know, was to, to, to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we do have contracts in place that, that do, do, do allow us to do that, and now with the passage of the state law, we could do, we could do that and not pull the plug on, um, on um, you know, the retail services it provides the community as well, so it gives us a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Even, even the passage of the referendum vote? Right, the ballot question, yes. Okay. Um, there seems to be uh, a lot of discussion about, you know, public-private partnerships, and a number of uh, communities have evolved their thinking just over the last year alone to where public-private partnerships are becoming more uh, popular. Do you see like what kind of range of possibilities do you see in that area? Like like who could you possibly team up with? Well, I I think you know we we are definitely going to keep our options open. I, it, it's always been uh, our city council has always preferred um, partnering with the private sector to try to accomplish um, building out a system like this. Uh, uh, and I think you know probably almost exclusively that's where the focus had been. They they didn't they didn't have the stomach to actually you know risk um, um, city dollars, um, and I think that's probably still the case. Um, but I mean, if the private sector doesn't step up, considering the the momentum and the and the excitement we have in the community, um, I don't know. We actually have a new council in place, a new mayor um, had their first meeting yesterday. Um, maybe they would be more um, open to the op- to the uh, idea of um, maybe incrementing a build um, slowly, uh, 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 with the city doing it uh, uh, more so on its own. But I, I think the, the primary drive is going to be um, is going to continue to be to look to, to to partner with the private sector. We'd love to have Google come back here. Um, we uh, we were pretty high on their list. Um, and I think one of the primary reasons they didn't come here was the fact that they would have had to dealt with the delay and the uncertainty of a of an election. Um, we removed that barrier for Longmont. Um, so I mean that, that's an example of, a, of an organization that uh, you know uh, was willing to make that type of an investment. And uh, who knows who else is out there? Uh, one thing uh, I know for sure that uh, whoever is out there when they come here, we don't have to worry about that restrictive state law anymore, so we can move relatively quickly. <clears throat> right, and I, I, I understand that Google sent sent you folks a nice letter of congratulations on uh, Wednesday morning, which I thought was pretty uh, telling in its own right. 
actually uh there there was no phone call i don't know where that where that came from um i did receive an email from a google uh, uh person that uh, we had talked to regarding the uh the uh the initial project uh, and they were out actually talking to us about you know being one of the uh, or, or the the city they were going to deploy their project to and it was just the individual at google so i wouldn't i wouldn't say that that was actually a Official congratulations from Google itself, <laughs> and, I, and I don't know if that email itself was the source of that or not. But uh, so I guess we could actually say I did receive a congratulatory email from a an employee of Google. Right, and that's as far as it goes. But you know how these things are on the on the Twitter universe. You know they they they, they take leg and they take wing much faster than uh, the verification process of said rumors. So it's <laughs> that sounded good. <laughs> That's okay, you know these these things tend to happen. What um, excuse me? What other options do you see with the network? Where where what other developments do you see coming out? Boy, you know, um, you know, I don't know. I I, th- I think p- part of what we need to do is again we need to have that uh, employee. I'm sorry, the uh, the public involvement process. And, and gather ideas from the community, see what they want to do. Um, again, like I said, I, I think I think our first steps will be small. I, we did have um, at one point a developer, a local developer, that wanted to do a, uh, a fiber installation in their in their subdivision approach us. Um, and uh, you know, of course, we would have had to have a, a citywide election to, to accommodate him. Um, at the time. Um, now that that's that that's that restrictions lifted, that's a possibility to pursue if somebody's going to build a uh, uh, wanted to future proof their uh, their development. We could sit down with them and figure out how we might be able to accommodate that. I think I mentioned also the fact that you know so we have some local businesses that might like access to it and it might make economic sense for them to uh, tie into the city's network. And I think those are the uh, some of the more immediate things we can do. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm starting to see come out of a number of um, <clears throat> communities to large and sometimes smaller uh, degrees are um, <sighs> contests to encourage broadband ideas. So, for example, um, where Chattanooga has uh, several different um, Contests, if you will. There's development teams for students. There's development college students. There's development teams for regular entrepreneurs, and 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 there's a development fund for seed capital for people. All of them about supporting and encouraging people with good ideas for using the network to come forward. And they and and they in Chattanooga and also in Kansas City have gone to outside companies to provide those funds. So it's not like the city themselves are providing it. They're just basically finding people to, in essence, sponsor the, the, the process. But what's coming out of that is, um, well, the, the dollar are, are significant enough that there are people that respond to that alone. You know, So there are teams saying, okay, we have... Uh, you know this idea, and we're gonna we're gonna enter it into the contest. So we're gonna put a business plan into the contest. But another thing that comes out of it is people who don't participate still go through a thinking process about, you know, well, what could we do with a gigabit, or what could we bring to the table as you know X Y Z company. And some of them aren't even in the technology space, but um, 
it just seems like an interesting way to generate interest and also generate application ideas. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on on this. And you know, since a lot of our listeners are other communities, you know, is that the kind of the kind of activity that you can see, you know, making sense? Certainly, I mean, not necessarily you know, even for you guys, but you know, just in, in general. Yeah, yeah I, 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 well, you know. I don't. We don't pretend to be the experts here on how we move forward. In one of the, but one of the things we need to do, in addition to having um, um, some kind of a community involvement process, is we need to get out and talk more to the communities that you mentioned. Find out what they've done. Just uh, find out what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, and and then bring those ideas back here to our local community to figure out how we make uh, how we move, make those next next steps. Um, I think all those ideas sound like they have a lot of potential, and we we need to be open-minded to uh, to pursuing them. Mm-hmm. And if I can relay a message from Wilson, North Carolina, because they have a uh, fiber network there that the city has built and has survived all of the anti-muni network laws coming out of their state legislature, but they've <clears throat> you know they've opened the door and said you know you guys can call them anytime if you want to. You know, exchange ideas and talk about some of the things that uh, that they've done down there, which uh, is, is pretty, you know, pretty pretty interesting. So how they've how they've moved forward, and it also makes a lot of sense because cities, you know, as opposed to dealing with other companies, you know, which are very guarded, cities will tell you what they've done and what makes sense and and so forth and so on. And uh, now within Colorado itself, uh, you mentioned. Um, that there are a couple of communities that passed referendums, and I assume they were smaller communities. But just for again benefit of the audience, uh, where where else in Colorado are there broadband initiatives seeming to take wing? You know, I I I don't know. Um, you're talking about maybe other. I would I would hope our example of winning the election. Um, or the ballot question is going to inspire other communities to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But prior to um, to us taking it to the uh, to the citizens, there were five Colorado uh, cities. I believe Fort Morgan, Glenwood mm-hmm. Springs, Leadville, and Platteville, and a really small township called Timnath, just outside of, of Longmont here. Uh, that had uh, had successful ballot questions. Again, I, I think they were successful because I'm not sure that the large incumbent providers had much of a, uh, a stake in those elections, so they didn't um, they didn't have anybody really aggressively campaigning against them. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, you know, and one of the things I think you mentioned too about um, cities and, and the fact that they're more open and, and, and the fact that they have a different approach is is something worth noting uh because I'm glad to hear that you know um we've got you know open invitations to talk to people I've had people call me I think you had you interviewed Todd Marriott from the Utopia Oh Utopia right project. um he contacted us um uh, about a month ago and uh he his hometown was Longmont which surprised me he's now you know living up in uh, Utah and uh, he actually came and, 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 and addressed our city council, which I really appreciated. And he uh, he held his hand out and said that he'd be available to talk uh, about lessons learned and uh, and maybe figure out a way we can talk to him and other other municipalities uh, about how we leverage what we know as we move forward. 
because cities or municipalities approach providing services differently, obviously, than than the private sector. Um, a, a city will 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 take on this this type of an effort. They'll charge rates based on cost of service. They're not profit, and um, they win uh, by improving um, the connectivity of the community, and they win by making their businesses more. Um, globally competitive, um, whereas your private sector, you know, they're in it for profit. That's what they do, and you can expect them to make their investment in areas of the country in which they're going to get the quickest and, and largest uh, bang for their dollar. Typically, that's in the very large metro areas first. Um, and so when you combine that type of a situation, I mean, we know, and, and they have an obligation to their – um, stockholders to do that with a unique uh, dependence um, on on the private sector. Smaller communities like the Timnath and those folks that passed that ballot issue, and even to some extent Longmont, uh, are guaranteed to be behind the technology curve of their larger cities for a long time because um, those those large companies are going to make their investments in the larger areas before they eventually move to the smaller areas. And I think the question that a lot of the smaller communities have to ask themselves is, can they afford to wait? And that's the question we had ourselves, asked ourselves, and we decided, no, we can't. I think so we, we, need, to take, uh, we need to take this into our own hands and, uh, and see what happens. And I think that that is a common theme. It's definitely been a common theme on this show, and in fact, our listeners are encouraged to you know, go through some of the the, the previous interviews because Todd Marriott was a guest on the show, and he talked specifically about this. You know that at a certain point in time, you just have to make the decision. You know, in for the better good of our community, we need to make a decision to move forward. And a lot and a lot of the times, the incumbents are not going to be the ones to to move the ball forward, and if anything, they will get in the way. Um, and, and speaking of which, um, is, is Comcast invited to come to the table if uh, when you guys start opening up the doors for partnerships? Which is, <laughs> I hate to admit it, yes, they are. They always have been, uh, <laughs> especially after this last election. It was a little bit tough to swallow some of the tactics. But um, yeah, when we when we when we first put in the the fiber infrastructure, um, they were the incumbents were the first ones we sat down with and asked mm-hmm. if they'd partner with us to improve the connectivity of the community. At the time, they not only told us no, they told us hell no. Um, and uh, however, you know, we can uh, we we've always said that we don't care who provides it as long as it gets provided. Again, it it goes back to the difference of the motivation behind a municipality and a private company. And um, if Comcast or CenturyLink uh, wants to sit down with us and figure out how we could together leverage um, infrastructure that the community already owns to be able to speed the deployment, lower the cost of uh, deploying systems that would improve the connectivity of this community, we're more than willing to sit down and talk with them. They just have to play by the house rules and not be such an obnoxious house guest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it can be it can be a little it can be a little bit crazy though. I I, I understand it's kind of hard. I mean, it's interesting to me to watch the levels of corporate resources, not just there in Longmont, but in other communities, 
where the incumbents will, you know, they'll dig their heels in and refuse, and then they'll to, to provide service. Then they will come out and actively uh, fight against a project. And then about, you know, two months after the battle is over and done, they come knocking on the door and it's like, well, can we help now, please? And it's like, okay, okay, fine. But, you know, you could have gotten here with a lot less grief and aggravation and saved a few dollars if you had just, you know, opened up on the first end and worked with us to get to this point, you know, yeah. as opposed to delaying the process. Well, I it would just seems little... silly to me. I don't know. Well, I agree. And I actually, I was a, I was a little surprised as I watched um... – the tactics used here, um, in a sense, they sort of they sort of played right into our hands. I mean, the fact that they could spend a lot of money on a campaign, we sort of set it up as a double-edged sword for them. Um, obviously, that that could be played to their advantage, but we made sure that this grassroots was group was in place to call to everybody's attention that these were outsiders spending a lot of money. And um, I think that the combination of that with, with with the tactics that they use when they began to sort of criticize um, our, our municipality. And by the way, one of the strengths that a city has, particularly a city with a municipal electric utility, has in, in most most cases um, that electric utility is held in high regard by that community. We've uh, we've got the lowest rates in Colorado. And we've got some of the highest reliability, and uh, for the most part, uh, our, our customer satisfaction ratings are, are are very, very high. And I think the tactics that they used um, caused them a lot of damage uh, with uh, to their reputation here in this community. And um, I was I was a little surprised at uh, at uh, the aggressive tactics they used. They ended up losing the election, plus upsetting a lot of. Um, a lot of customers. Right. And folks who, if they're going to get an opportunity to move to another service, are likely going to take it and not think twice about it would be my guess, considering just I've the little a lot, bit yeah, that I I've, saw. I've had a lot of people tell me that uh, they're going to look, whether or not the city does anything, they're going to look to uh, for other alternatives because they were so upset with uh, what they saw. As a matter of fact, somebody, yes, it was actually in Monday's paper, paid for a small advertisement in our local uh, paper and could, couldn't have been cheap it's uh, you know and, and the paper and it basically it's handwritten and it says dear comcast $300,000 to kill 2A neener 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 <laughs> it just sort of reflects that a lot of people out there um, took this personally right um, which is interesting and you know we talk about what we need to do to move forward. It, it, in some sense, too, just the fact that the incumbents know that we do have an option here in the community to take matters into our own hands if we're not um, completely satisfied with what they're providing. I think may um, motivate them um, to maybe step it up a little bit here, maybe more so than they would in a community that doesn't have that option. Maybe mm -hmm. the next big thing that they're going to roll out. Um, maybe they actually decide to roll that out here in Longmont and not somewhere in Metro Denver. I don't know. We'll see. Right. Okay. Well, that pretty much is going to cover it for today. I want to thank you, Tom, for being my guest today and enlightening the audience with all these tales of uh, you know good stuff coming out of, of Longmont. And I want to thank our audience for uh, listening. I, I appreciate uh, week after week everyone's support. I also want to thank our media partners, um, GigaOM, 
uh, Broadband Communities Magazine, MuniWireless.com, and Community Broadband Networks. Uh, stay tuned. Next week is going to be actually a very big week for Gigabit Nation. Uh, the mayor of Kansas City, Kansas, is going to be a guest. Uh, Al Malik, who is uh, industry luminary, luminary is going to be a guest on uh, Monday. We have some really good shows coming up, and uh, thank you again for coming, and we will talk to you soon. Take care and have a good day.